Good morning. My name is Ben King. Um, good morning. Um, I have the privilege and the blessing to read scripture this morning. Um, this, mor this morning's passage will be from the book of Acts, chapter 2, starting in the first verse. Um, if you're using the Bible in the seat in front of you, it's going to be uh, found on page 909. Um, while you're doing that, um, my wife Mara and I and our children started attending Joy in 2002, and we became members soon after that. Uh, Jason asked me to relay how long I had been walking with Jesus, and that, I think, uh, sometimes is a difficult question to answer for some of us. I grew up in a conservative Roman Catholic house. And I don't know a time where I did not know the name Jesus. So I personally can't remember that time. But what I do know is that I truly became, that Jesus truly became my savior and rabbi, and I his disciple about 35 years ago. Uh, I'm blessed to be able to read these words from God. So um, would you marvel with me at this uh, historical account from uh, Acts chapter 2? When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mockingly said, They are filled with new wine. Would you please join me in prayer? Father, we thank you for this time together and for these words from Scripture. We pray for Jason as he has faithfully studied this passage and will now share with us what you have revealed to him through your Holy Spirit. We pray that you would open our hearts, give us ears to hear, guard our mind, and protect us from distraction. We bring this petition before you in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Seeing the images and videos as Hurricane Ian made landfall this week had the ability to induce in us uh, simultaneous horror uh, and awe at the mighty hand of God. While some may want to label it as 
nature or mother nature. We know that our God is Lord over the storms as well. And I don't say that to trivialize what happened or celebrate it in any way. Uh, we see clearly in Scripture, and I prayed this in the pastoral prayer, that this storm didn't hit where it hit because certain people were worse people than other people. Storms and calamities are a reminder to the living to seek the Lord while he may be found. Our prayers are with all those impacted, and I'm fairly certain that we'll see in coming days some concrete ways maybe that even we as a church can help and serve those affected. Those frightening scenes remind me of a passage from Job, chapter 26, verses 11 through 14, the words of Job as he describes the majestic power of Almighty God. Job says, the pillars of heaven tremble and are astounded at his rebuke. By his power, he stilled the sea. By his understanding, he shattered Rahab. By his wind, the heavens were made fair. His hand pierced the fleeing serpent. Behold, these are but the outskirts of his ways. And how small a whisper do we hear of him. But the thunder of his power, who can understand? It's difficult to comprehend the mighty power of God. But as we resume our series in the book of Acts this morning, we're going to see that it's by that very same power, the same word of his power, that souls are saved and the church is built. We're going to spend this week and next week in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 41, Lord willing, uh, considering the mighty work of God on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem. Today we zero in on what Ben read, verses 1 through 13. Two weeks ago, we were reminded of the resurrection of Jesus, his times of instruction to the disciples after his resurrection, his promise of the pouring out of the Holy Spirit upon his people, his promise that his people would be his witnesses to the ends of the earth, and his ascension into heaven where he is now seated at the right hand of God the Father. Ben, I appreciated you saying that this is a historical account. This isn't a fable. It's not a fairy tale. It is real, factual, historical information. Last week, we saw the disciples obeying Jesus and waiting, trusting in his sovereign guidance as they waited and allowing his will to select a replacement for Judas. In today's passage, the wait ends. The day of Pentecost has arrived. One of three sacred annual feasts of the Jewish people. The Jewish pilgrims would come from all over the known world and descend upon Jerusalem, much as they had done for the Passover. Pentecost is 50 days after the end of Passover. The word Pentecost literally means, do you know what it means? 50th, yeah. Pentecost is the 50th day after Passover. In the Old Testament, I'll give you another quiz question. Do you know what it was referred to as? Feast of Harvest or Feast of Weeks. Very good. So it was known as the Feast of Weeks. And at Pentecost, the Jewish people celebrated the harvest. More specifically, the Lord of the harvest. 
Particular instructions for the Feast of Weeks can be found in Exodus chapter 34, verses 22 through 26, Leviticus 23, verses 15 to 22, Numbers 28, verses 26 to 31, Deuteronomy chapter 16, verses 9 to 12. Worth reading. Uh, in these celebrations, the people, uh, the Jewish people rejoiced at the mighty hand of deliverance by which God brought them out from slavery in Egypt. They were reminded that he is the one who provides life and breath and everything and that he would make their crops grow. They were reminded that all praise and glory would be his, but we also see in those Old Testament passages, if you look through them, that their crops were, were to be used to bless the poor and needy, the sojourner and the foreigner. That the people of Israel were not to be afraid when they made their pilgrimage from their homeland to Jerusalem. Not to be afraid that while they were gone, somebody was going to come in and take all their stuff. Because the Lord reminded them, you'll see it if you read those passages, he reminded them, I will protect you. I will protect your possessions. You will be faithful to do what I call you to do, and I will protect. And he is able to do that. The day of Pentecost brings many to Jerusalem to behold the mighty and awesome power of God once more. They're celebrating the harvest, right? And I was struck this week as I was thinking about the day of Pentecost, celebrating the harvest. And what did Jesus say to his disciples? The fields are white unto harvest. There's a lot of work to be done. It's harvest time. It's time for the harvest to begin And so it is on the day of Pentecost that we would see the mighty power of God. A mighty power that transforms, gives strength, amazes, and confuses all at once. For today, we're going to consider the outpouring and the reaction. Next week, we're going to see some more specifics in both of these areas and, and see uh, the sermon of Peter on the day of Pentecost. Uh, this morning, we're going to consider the outpouring and the reaction. And just so you're aware, point number one is about 90% of the sermon. So uh, I just, I'd like to tell you those things up front so you don't get nervous. Much like we discussed in week one of this series, for church folks, people who grew up in a church or you've been here a while, it's really easy to lose some of the majesty and all in scenes like this. Right? We, read, we read, ah, Jesus rose from the dead, right? Jesus ascended into heaven, right? Happens all the time. Not really. It's unbelievable to consider what is happening in this passage. This really happened. Jesus really and truly rose from the dead. He is victorious over sin and death. He really and truly ascended into heaven. He now sits at the right hand of God the Father. This all happened, and what happens here happened for real, by the mighty hand of God, as the disciples of Jesus are gathered together in one place, there comes from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, it says. No wind, though. I, I, I don't know. What, what do you have in your mind when you picture, like, day of Pentecost? What's happening? Like, it's real windy, the hair is blown. No wind, sound of wind. Sound of mighty wind. Is there a tornado coming through this room right now? 
a mighty rushing wind. Have you ever heard the sound of a mighty wind? Ever experienced it? Live, walk, live through a, a hurricane coming through, a tropical storm? We know not far from here, a tornado that, that ran through this area, ravaged this area a little over a year ago. Scary, right? The sounds of a mighty wind are scary. Awesome. They're experiencing this, the 120. Can you imagine? They've been waiting and praying. And now something is happening. And how could you prepare yourself for something like this? And so this sound comes through. And as they are experiencing that, divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them, which led me to three questions. Uh, why fire? Why divided? Then why tongues? I just, yeah, it's not real creative. Tongues may be, this is the one I feel least confident about, may be symbolic for the particular gift that was about to be poured out. Some believe that's the case. Possibly the symbol, symbolic of the call to speak the words of God, declare the works of God in the strength that he supplies. But the bottom line on the specific reason that they were tongues, I read, I'm, I got like five commentaries I'm referring to, and people who are way smarter than me are saying, could be, could be because he was about to give them the gift of tongues, could be something else, we don't know, sorry. Why divided? Why were they divided tongues? <clears throat> I believe that we are to learn from this. <coughs> wrong, wrong pipe. Uh, I believe that we're to learn from this that while the togetherness of the church is a huge theme in the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit works not only corporately, but individually. The Holy Spirit transforms and empowers individuals. The transformation that comes by faith in Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, the gifting of the body, that is what makes a person, well, I'm going to start with the first part. The transformation that comes by faith in Christ, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, that's what makes a person a member of God's people. Individually, we are members of the body of Christ. By what means? Through faith in Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit. That is who the body of Christ is. So the Christian faith is both individual and corporate, and both are indispensable. Which area of that maybe is, is more of a struggle for, for you? There are some who think, you know, I, I just love the community aspect of the church. But cultivating my own individual faith or the gifts that God has given me, I don't pay much attention to that. There are others who say, me and Jesus, we're good. I'm good. You know, I would be happy to just have my own personal faith in Jesus and never show up in a church gathering in my life. And I think we learn from the book of Acts that neither one of those things is something you can get rid of. Your faith is both individual and corporate. Both. Okay. So 
We got tongues. We got divided. Why fire? Why fire? Fire is a central image in the scriptures. Fire can refer to many things in scripture. As a matter of fact, I would encourage you. You want a good word study to do in scripture? Study the word fire and see how it's used throughout scripture. Fire can refer to cleansing. We see that in a place like Numbers chapter 31, verse 23. Fire can refer to judgment and testing, like places like Sodom and Gomorrah or 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Fire can speak of the binding of an oath, Genesis 15, God's covenant with Abraham. It can refer to the blazing holiness of God, Hebrews 12, 29. Our God is a consuming fire. Fire can be a reminder of God's guiding presence at Exodus 13, right? He led them by a pillar of fire. I'd love for you to do a little fire word study and tell me what you find. I also would encourage you, uh, I don't think I see him out here today, but Ryan Elwell uh, sent me this week a great song by, by a guy named Timothy Brindle. We got any Timothy Brindle fans out here? Timothy Brindle, uh, he, he wrote a song called Glory Fire. It's fantastic. It's, it's 15 minutes long, and it traces the story of fire in Scripture. It's fantastic. And it's, it's going to be right up everybody's alley, thematic, like genre-wise. You're going to love it. I, I do. So, Timothy Brindle, Glory Fire. Um, in Acts 2, getting back to today's passage, I think we're meant to see the fire as the power of God. Much as we see it in Exodus chapter 3, Moses and the burning bush, or Exodus 19 and Exodus 28, the fire atop Mount Sinai. We are supposed to see, we are supposed to be reminded that on the day of Pentecost, the power of God came upon his people. They waited. They waited. At whose command did they wait? Go ahead, say it. It's the best church answer ever. Jesus. They waited at the command of Jesus, and Jesus was the only one who fulfilled these words from Isaiah chapter 33. The sinners in Zion are afraid. Trembling has seized the godless. Who among us can dwell with the consuming fire? Who among us can dwell with everlasting burnings? He who walks righteously and speaks uprightly, who despises the gain of oppressions, who shakes his hands lest they hold a bribe, who stops his ears from hearing of bloodshed and shuts his eyes from looking on evil, he will dwell on the heights. His place of defense will be the fortresses of rocks. His bread will be given him. His water will be sure. Your eyes will behold the king in his beauty. They will see a land that stretches afar. So there was one who went, the only one, who could go through the fire and not come out burned. And now that one, Jesus Christ, was ascended to the right hand of God the Father, pleading on behalf of his disciples, and he was going to send to them just like he promised. 
the Holy Spirit to empower them, to regenerate and empower them for the mission that he had before them. Because of the atoning work of the only one who could dwell with the consuming fire, who could merit the reward of the upright, because Jesus now dwelt on the heights, his disciples could rejoice in the arrival of a mighty fire that was not given to destroy them, but to empower them because of his work. Fire coming down from heaven on sinful people, you should be afraid, right? That's not a good picture in Scripture. But because of the work of Jesus, fire comes down from heaven to empower and not destroy. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, a phrase that we'll see used in a couple different ways in the book of Acts. In some places, it refers to a specific filling for an intended purpose. We can't make us, ourselves have more of the Holy Spirit, but there are occasions we see throughout the book of Acts where the, the Holy Spirit specifically works in a mighty way, in a situation to give. You can actually be filled and then filled some more. Did you know that by the Holy Spirit? to be empowered for a certain purpose. Uh, but here, I believe it refers to the initial indwelling of the Holy Spirit. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, it says in verse 4. The new covenant promise from the Old Testament prophets, like Jeremiah, like Ezekiel, the promise that what mankind has shown itself unable and unwilling to do, seek the Lord, glorify the Lord, honor Him with our words and our actions, he will do himself by replacing hearts of stone with new hearts, causing his Holy Spirit to dwell in his people that they might truly know him and believe in him and empowering them to glorify him. Apart from a work of the Holy Spirit, we do not have the ability to have saving faith in the Lord Jesus. Apart from a work of the Holy Spirit, we do not have the desire to believe in the Lord Jesus. Apart from the Holy Spirit, even our best efforts, if they went out, if Jesus ascended and he said, good luck, try and tell people about me. Our best efforts apart from the Holy Spirit are lacking. Far short of what honors the Lord and what the power of the Lord can accomplish. The transforming work of the Holy Spirit. I want to be really clear. Like we, we're, we're seeing, we want to marvel at what happened in this place. We're going to. The Holy Spirit is still doing this amazing work now. When a heart is changed, when somebody comes from disbelieving to believing, rescued from the wrath of God and given the hope of eternal life in glory, that is every bit a miracle as this is, right? If you think it's less, you think, well, listen, I brought something to the table. You know, I, was, I had a leg up on, you know, I was, I was more capable of believing. I, what, what happened to me, what happened to us, not as big a deal. We were pretty good people. The work of the Holy Spirit, when he saves us, regenerates us, and empowers us to do anything that pleases the Lord, is amazing and praiseworthy. 
So the Holy Spirit fills the gathered faithful. And what happens? They begin to speak in tongues. So what's that mean? That's the easy question. What does it mean that they spoke in tongues? We get it from this passage. We see what happened. God granted them the supernatural ability to speak in the languages of all the people gathered there. I, I, I don't want to lose the wonder of that, right? These people were not in the upper room having a college class on all the languages of the nations that would be there for Pentecost, right? They weren't, all right, well, you graduated. Now let's go out and preach the message in their language. These were ordinary people. I'll, I won't say people like you. I'll say people like me. Ordinary people. And I'm just sitting in my house one day, and a, a refugee walks in from, uh, from the Ukraine, and all of a sudden, I'm speaking Ukrainian. These people are, are in a gathered place with people speaking all kinds of different languages, and all of a sudden, they're speaking their language. That's an unbelievable thing. There is no explanation other than the power of God had descended upon them. Jesus had told the apostles that they would be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Here the nations of the earth have been brought to them. We see the description in verses 9 through 11, right? If you have your Bibles open, 9 through 11. Ben, you did a bang-up job reading all these names of places. That was good. I'm not even going to say it. Remember what Ben said? <laughs> Faithful Jews from all over the globe, proselytes of the Jews from all over the globe, ethnic Jews, converted Jews. We have no specific explanation for why the, these groups are mentioned, but they're representative of all the nations brought to Jerusalem. As I prayed earlier, my heart and mind were stru was struck by, we got a campus, right? Not far from here. We got refugees being relocated to, to our state in pretty record numbers and moving into our communities in pretty record numbers. And we could look at those things as a Glassboro resident, right, who lives on the campus around. Man, what a, what a problem that is. These kids, all these kids keep coming to my town. And for some of us, it is a logistical nightmare at times. But it's also an opportunity for the gospel to go forward. And maybe forward to the ends of the earth from within our own backyard. So our initial thought in reading about the gift of tongues in this passage might be, why on earth would the gift of tongues be the first thing that God pours out on the day of Pentecost? But it makes complete sense when we understand the Lord's purpose in doing so. To show that the gospel message was to be a message for everyone, not for a specific group of people. We have here a direct reversal of what happened in the tower, at the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11. Did you ever think about that? Did you, Acts chapter 2 is best read in light of Genesis chapter 11. Do you remember the story of the Tower of Babel? Kids, you know that story? What happened at the Tower of Babel? Charlotte? 
Yes, so they were, they were trying, the people of Babel were trying to build a tower. Why were they trying to build a tower? Right? That's exactly right. So this is after the flood. The people of Babel, they say, you know what? We're going to build a structure all the way up to heaven, and we're going to dare God. We're going to say, you can't flood us now because together we're stronger than you. What does the Lord do? Charlotte told us. He confuses their language. He makes it so that they cannot accomplish. He says, if they band together, nothing that they purpose to do will be impossible for them. And he's not complimenting them. He's saying, they'll invent wickedness that I, you can't even imagine. And so he confuses their language. Differing languages can now be seen in a sinful world actually as a gracious act of the restraining mercy of God. That they couldn't work together to do awful things. But on this day in Jerusalem, we are reminded that mankind is hopeless without God and here he shows the gathered crowds that nothing is impossible for him, nothing will be a barrier to the advance of the gospel and that the message of Jesus is a message for all the world. That remains true today, brothers and sisters. Those who die apart from Christ will perish for all of eternity. And we who are spirit-filled believers are called to send and to go. To send and to go. The kingdom of heaven is a kingdom that will include people of every nation, tribe, and language. So I ask you this, what language are we going to speak in heaven? Maybe. Some people say the language of heaven. We might speak every language in heaven because the people of heaven are from every nation, tribe, and tongue, and language is a gift of God. And so we have in our minds here on this day of Pentecost a day when God will finally unite all of his people from every nation, tribe, and tongue to sing his praises together in every tongue that exists. Maybe. Now, the topic of speaking in tongues is a sticky wicket for some. If you receive my weekly devotional, I think you're going to get some of my thoughts on that matter in a month or so as we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through 14. But with today's passage, I'm not going to touch on much of the sticky wicket part because what we see in today's passage is, and, and with the way the gift of tongues plays out in the book of Acts, a couple things are extremely clear and vital as it pertains to tongues. First, the gift of tongues did create confusion, but only because the gathered people couldn't understand or believe what they were hearing. They were shocked. The gift of tongues brought clarity and understanding to the ears of foreigners. It displayed God's power and God's desire for them to understand, not be confused. Our God is a God of order. 
chaotic confusion is not one of his attributes. And so it was, he was making the message understandable, not indiscernible. Second, what is it that the disciples are saying? It says it in this passage. What are the disciples saying in these languages? What are they telling? Go ahead. I want a specific phrase. Maybe in the range of the mighty works of God. They are telling the mighty works of God. This was not showtime for the disciples. This was not, look at how great and amazing we are. This was, have you considered the mighty works of God? I'm doing what I'm doing because God has done something amazing. The spotlight was never going to land on them. Have you considered the mighty works of God? He who did this, we're going to see Peter saying next week, he who did this is the same one who sent his son that whoever believes in him will not perish but will have everlasting life. The same God. These are the works they're declaring. They're saying, this is Jesus who did this. This is our mighty Father who did this. This is the power of the Holy Spirit doing this. It's not us. The bottom line is that no one was left thinking about how awesome the disciples were. They were pointed to the one who made it happen. Both of these things are good instructions for us as individual believers and as a church. We are never to seek confusion. Certain teachings are difficult to understand, but we're to wrestle through and teach through them. Seek to learn and grow. But the church, established by the almighty power of God, bought by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, is never to be a place that fosters confusion. We are never to be a place or a people who let the glory land on us. God forbid, right? They're declaring the mighty works of God. They're not looking at one another saying, this is, we're pretty awesome, aren't we? This is not about us. God forbid we walk out this, this room and say, man, we're really, we're, we're something else. That's the Tower of Babel. Look how great we are. Everything we have, good fruit, power, lives being transformed, everything we have and everything we offer is only by the grace of God, only by the power that he provides. Any good gift, any good fruit, all glory lands not here, but on him. That's for us as individuals and us as a church. The church that starts to think that we're the show. Come see our show. It's about me. You're, you're here to see me or this. No. All glory and honor and all praise are directed to the one who does the mighty works. It's his power. We don't labor under the impression that we're making it happen. He is the one who provides. We would be absolute fools to attract people with us. May we always seek opportunities to tell people 
the mighty works of God, what he has done. So we move on to the reaction. I told you this will be the, we're going to move toward the Lord's table. This unbelievable moment produces unsurprising reactions, minus one. There's one a little bit surprising reaction, as Luke recounts here. So the people hear the sound of the disciples speaking in tongues in verses 5 and 6. They come together, and Luke says, they're bewildered. What does that word mean? Go ahead. Confused. That things like this don't happen. Verse 7 says they were amazed and astonished. These are Galileans. These are common folk. How are they speaking in our languages? Verse 12 says that they were amazed and perplexed. And they ask this interesting question. What does this mean? Some wanted to dismiss it altogether. So now, you're in this gathered setting. People are speaking foreign languages. You didn't know they knew. They're speaking in your language. And what are, what are the mockers saying at this point? They're drunk. Now, listen. Uh, the work of God and the words of God to this very day still inspire mockery by men. Brothers and sisters, do not be dismayed if this has happened to you. Sometimes we get mocked for what we believe. If this is happening to you on account of the name of Jesus, take heart. He suffered mockery. He suffered ill treatment. He even said, you're going to suffer ill treatment. Woe to you if everybody speaks well of you. But the real, who's the fool in this passage? The fool in this passage is the person who's saying, oh, they're, they just know how to drink, or they know how to speak another language because they drank a lot of alcohol. Does that make any sense? You know, I'm no genius, but... I don't think that, that drinking a lot of alcohol grants you any supernatural powers. Yes, quite the opposite. It's folly. Their response is folly. But people do that. People see God's word. We talked in Sunday school, Romans chapter 1. They see everything God made and they mock. They ignore. They pretend he doesn't exist. They hear of our Christian faith, they mock. People will mock. People will think we're foolish. And they will seek to explain away whatever happens by the power of God by anything other than it's the power of God. Because if it is the power of God, then what? Then they got to reckon with God. And people don't want to do that. They just want to pretend he doesn't exist. So they say, yeah, that's silly. That's silliness. But how about we, we let this, this question in verse 12 take us to the Lord's table? What does this mean? They're hearing languages being spoken, their own languages, and they, they come to the question of, what does this mean? 
And I believe that it means this. The Lord wants the world to know through the testimony of words about his mighty work on our behalf. That's ultimately what it means. It wasn't only language barriers that needed to be overcome, but by the mighty power of God through the words of these disciples, hope was going to be offered to the whole world. Hope that though our rebellion against God has merited nothing but damnation, the same God that we have offended has made a way for us to be reconciled to him. He has taken all the initiative and all the power comes from him. The disciples speaking in tongues shows that God is mighty to do whatever he pleases. And the message they proclaim shows that he is mighty and willing to save. That's what he uses his mighty power for. And the gift of tongues is the first evidence that he will cross over every barrier, including the barrier of dead hearts through the gospel of his son. How can someone who has lived in rebellion against God have any hope, any knowledge that they can be forgiven? How do you and I, brothers and sisters, who live every day knowing that he's mighty, knowing that he's powerful, and yet living as if he doesn't exist at times, or is not mighty, or is not good, how can we still have hope? It's through what we celebrate at the Lord's Supper. Jesus Christ, Son of God, fully God and fully man, came to earth to be our representative. He is the one who lived the perfect life that we do not, and then gave himself freely over to death that he could pay the penalty for our rebellion. He was the one who could dwell with the consuming fire, and so when his sacrifice was complete, he did not stay dead, but was raised in victory. So when the gathered people at Pentecost ask, what does this mean? It means that you too can find forgiveness and peace with God and the hope of eternal life through faith in the Lord Jesus. It means that there will not be any barriers. There is no obstacle so big that our God is unable to destroy it. He calls his people to go with this message because the message tells the story of salvation, forgiveness, and the mighty works of God. Do you believe that? What does this mean? What does this mean? It means that the Lord is beginning to build his church. And he will do it by the power of the Holy Spirit and the proclamation of his mighty works. And we can rejoice in that today too. Would you pray with me? Father, as we're about to come to the table... We are confronted with the reality once again that we know, we know you to be a mighty God. We know you to be a saving God and a good God. And yet again and again, we fail to live in accordance with that. Show us, Lord, areas where we have doubted your, your might doubted your, your power.
or doubted your goodness. Bring those to mind that we might confess them before you. Father, I thank you that when we find in ourselves that the word pierces us, that the truth of the word pierces us, we also find that the word reminds us that we have an advocate before you. Jesus Christ, the righteous. Amen. That when we bring our confessions before you and ask for your forgiveness because of the finished work of Jesus, your answer is, it is forgiven. Strengthen us, Father, through our time at your table this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.